Welcome back to the Bridge Podcast, everyone. It's season two, episode 13. We have a very special guest today, Chris Scott. He is um he was a member of the same scholarship program, leadership program that I'm a part of right now. So I'm super grateful for that program, first of all, and for being being able to connect Chris and I in this unique COVID year. And um, so the quote of the day is from one of my favorite books. It's called Inward. And it says, the goal is to find the balance between being productive and being patient. So that's the quote of the day. And without further introduction, everyone, Chris Scott. Well, Gabriel, thanks so much uh, for having me on today. Uh, Definitely a pleasure. Um, As Gabriel mentioned, uh, my name is Chris Scott. I was a member of the President's Leadership Academy uh, while at Bone Green State University. So I graduated uh, in 2011, came in uh, to the university in 2007. And currently I serve as the National Political Director uh, for the Collective PAC, which is the largest black political PAC uh, in the country that focuses on uh, reducing uh, the representation gap uh, at every single level of government. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, I guess we can get into some questions. First of all, um, what would you say is like a high and low point of your career of like finding it or even, uh, during it as well? And how did you like handle that? So I think for me, probably the high point was really 2020, uh, I got to be a deputy campaign ma- uh, manager on an incredible uh, district attorney race over in the Chicago area for one of the leading uh, prosecutor, progressive prosecutors in the country in Kim Fox. Uh, but then I also uh, started my new job here uh, where I'm at now uh, in May. But I think even with all the challenges of COVID, um, I really appreciate it just getting more time with my uh, family. I got to spend more time uh, than I ever had in my son's uh, first two years of life uh, because in politics, my career, I have traveled a lot during the year. So it's nice to just have completely uh, slow down uh, moment. I think the low point for my career uh, was probably when I was first coming, uh, starting off. Uh, I had came off of working for uh, former President Obama's reelection campaign in 2012 and also interning in Congress. And then I went through about a year, year and a half where I just could not get uh, a job. And so that was rough. Uh, It was fresh off of coming out of grad school as well. Um, And it was just an interesting time uh, because when I think about when a lot of the of us graduated from college, a lot of us uh, went to grad school or went to law school because we were still in a recession at that time. And that was still being felt, you know, even a year, two years later. Um, That would be the low point, but I think it taught me a lot about myself. I got to do a lot of self-work, reading and just, you know, learn how to be even more uh, resilient no matter what uh, circumstances you're facing. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I love how you said um, COVID gave you more time like with family. That was definitely one of the the pros for me as well. Like spending time with my dad, like we would work out together every single day. And we, we never had that opportunity with school and work and all that. 
So I was super grateful to especially have it right before college mm -hmm. to spend mm -hmm. that quality time now that I'm away from home. So I, I feel you on that one. And then with your lowest point, I think it's so true that um, it teaches like your lows teach you a lot more lessons than your highs. You know, everyone sees the success, the highlight reel of things. But when you're really learning, it's from your lows and the way you could like go inward and learn more about yourself and take time to read and stuff is, is really powerful. So absolutely. How was it like, like with the Obama tour and everything, the reelection? Yeah. So, I mean, it was a phenomenal uh, time. And then to think that's my like first official real job coming out of uh, college, it was just, I still look back and it's just amazing. Uh, that I had that type of opportunity. Uh, and I was working down uh, in the Cincinnati area. So it actually brought me back to Ohio uh, for a little while. I remember a lot of my volunteers from that campaign, uh, I still keep in touch with uh, today and we still have really good uh, relationships. But I think, you know, I think beyond just general world experiences, uh, working on campaigns has always um, help keep me grounded even more. Uh, just when you get to talk to people about the things that affect them the most uh, and meeting them where they are, no matter where they fall on a political uh, spectrum, just learning, you know, at the end of the day, everybody, we have a lot of the same struggles. Uh, everybody, uh, if you have kids, all of you uh, care about education. Everybody wants access to good uh, healthcare at the end of the day. So um, it, it was nice uh, having that and just, you know, getting, uh, being able um, to just hear other people's uh, stories that I never would have heard um, had I not done that campaign in the first place. Yeah, I think that's really important what you said about meeting people where they are, no matter what in life, when you can meet people where you are and when people feel seen, heard, and valued that's when a society becomes their best and it's Absolutely. by doing it together. That's awesome. Um, what is it like being involved in politics and things like that? I'm not very, I wouldn't say knowledgeable, but I put my energy into other things like that. And I know some of my like really good friends are really into politics and stuff, but what is, what is it like? What does a normal day look like for you or? I would say one thing I always tell people, there is no true normal day uh, working in this field, especially the higher you get out, I feel like the more uh, chaos and you got to just be willing to adjust to things uh, on the fly. But I think, you know, politics at its uh, low points, it can be very stressful. It can be very isolating uh, at times, but then at at its high point, I think it's one of the most beautiful things in the world uh, because you get to see the actual effect when you have uh, a positive impact uh, on a community. And I would say being able to see a person have a light switch come on about being feeling more empowered, um, just whether or not it's with uh, knowledge or a policy that now has actually made their life better. Um, and then just the belief and inspiration that uh, uh, it can have on people, uh, I think is the thing that I love about it uh, the most at the end of the day. 
Um, and I think it's one of those things when it's done right, uh, you know, I don't know if any other career provides the level of service that politics mm. can provide when it's actually done right. Mm. I love that. Um, yes, yeah, service is definitely something that's been a big part of my life as well. Back in high school, I went to an all guys Catholic high school. We used to do service all the time. And it's such a, a humbling experience, but also mm -hmm. so the spirit, like the feeling you get is so gratifying in so many different ways. It's, it's unexplainable. So I definitely, mm -hmm. I know like being able to have a career path that involves service would just create a lot more meaning in life as well. You know what? I, I would add on to that. And you heard me say it, I think, uh, at uh, the forum that we met at for PLA, but I think really the servant leadership aspect is probably one of the bigger parts of politics that I think a lot of people don't see. I think politics has such a negative notion because you're used to the people that are more the power stars and it seems really individualized. Um, but I think at its core, um, again, I think it's rooted in still having that servant uh, leadership when you look at even the definition uh, that we call people more public servants than politicians. I think polit uh, you get the politicians out of the kind of the games that we have to play sometimes, but at the end of the day, I think if you stay rooted uh, in the public servant aspect and understanding that you uh, have the responsibility and the privilege of doing more service uh, in the position of power you have, you know, it just makes for a better government and an overall better system as well. Mm -hmm. I love that. Public servants. That's awesome. Um, how, uh, I'm curious to know, how, was your work impacted in any way with like the recent events happening this summer and the protests with Black Lives Matter and that such? Yeah, so uh, when all of that happened, um, I was starting at my new job and it really was kind of twofold. Coming off of working for a district attorney race and then you're having all these protests um, it actually led me to create uh, our Justice for All initiative that puts a special uh, focus both uh, on criminal justice candidates, but uh, pushing more immediate uh, criminal justice uh, policy um, in the way that we des uh, describe it is it's completely reimagining our justice system versus uh, uh, reforming our justice system, because I think there are, when we look at it, for us, it's so many uh, uh, pillars, I think, in the justice system uh, that were designed and broken in the first place, uh, when you look at just how it is designed. So um, how do we uh, make a true uh, justice system in the way my former boss used to say, um, uh, she would say, you know, the criminal justice system has to live up to the second part of its name in justice just as much as it lives up to the first part of its name in criminal. So, yeah, I can I completely agree. And I think reimagine versus reform is really powerful. But when you uh, I think it's like we brought this up in some of my leadership classes actually earlier this week about our justice system and how there are there 
indirect flaws in it. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me so much of the the Nixon era with the like war on drugs and everything. And I don't think people, a lot of people realize it. Like there was crack versus cocaine. And I forget which one was used by which groups, like white people use crack more and black people use cocaine more. And it's like, you could go to jail for 25 years for the cocaine and then only five years for like the crack for the same Mm -hmm. amount. And uh, it's just things like that in our criminal justice system that you wouldn't see at, at the forefront unless you dig deep into it. So I think like you said, like the emphasizing the justice before the criminal is really, really important. Um, how would you say, what would be your advice to, um, to, uh, a white person who is trying to use, I'd say, use their privilege to be able to support and be a part of the, the Black Lives Matter movement? Well, I think it's a couple of things. It's, I think it's one, uh, always staying grounded that you do have privilege. Um, so I think, as much as somebody can empathize, there's still only so far they can go without fully understanding. So I think it's, you know, acknowledging uh, your privilege, even in trying to empathize and support uh, uh, the movement. And at the end of the day, just be an authentic ally. Uh, it doesn't mean, and in, in fil- figuring out what does authentic uh, mean for you, uh, if you want to support it. I think a lot of people feel like, okay, if I'm supporting Black Lives Matter, that means uh, I have to be marching in the streets. That might not be your lane. That might not be the thing that really speaks to you. So at the end of the day, um, I think uh, for any type of movement in this world, whether or not it's Black Lives Matter, whether or not it's LGBTQ issues, uh, figuring out what is the authentic way for you to engage and support those issues, I think is really key. And then again, it's recognizing and, you know, being willing to acknowledge um, both with yourself and then even if it comes a time publicly to acknowledge, yes, I'm privileged, but yes, this is why I'm supporting it. And I think if you do that, you can't go wrong. Mm -hmm. That reminds me of this quote um, I heard in a TED talk before. It's called Saubona. Have you ever heard of it? Mm -hmm. So it's from a tribe in Africa and it's a, it's a greeting and it means I see you mm-hmm. and it kind of, and the response, I don't know the response exactly, but the response is I see you seeing me. And as the black lives matter protests and things like that were, were occurring, that was the only thing that could be like on my mind and my heart is that, you know, like you said, I can't fully emphasize with you because I'm, I'm white. I don't know what it means to be black in America. I, physically and mentally just can't know and so to be able to recognize and let people know that i see you i hear you your voice is being mattered and it's like i'm going to do everything in my position to help that like cause be progressed forward and i would i I would add one other thing i think to me when all of it was happening all at once I appreciated my, especially my white friends that one didn't immediately hit me up as soon as it uh, happened. Um, But two, like, it was almost like, uh, I appreciated the ones that also asked me, uh, didn't ask me 
um, what can I do to help? And just more so just checked in on my well-being. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think sometimes people just feel like, uh, again, this is with any group uh, that's being uh, marginalized. But I think sometimes the immediate reaction is, oh, what can I do to, uh, you know, uh, help? How can I get involved? And sometimes it's, you know, again, when you're having that authentic engagement and uh, conversation, you know, just check on your friend first. <laughs> See where their mental state and emotional state before, yeah, let's go do this, go do that. Because I know truthfully for me, I just didn't have it in me. I wasn't, uh, one, especially having a family, I wasn't going uh, to protest. Two, uh, the fact that the type of work that I do every day, I don't get a chance to turn it off. So for me, it was more so, at times I just wanted to decompress from it all because I need a 24 seven look at it. Um, especially when those things come out, uh, I have to be on overdrive. Um, and so you asking me just how I'm doing is probably more powerful than anything you could tell me that you were doing for that moment at that time. Yeah, that that's super powerful. I mean, you're not going to go out and solve the world's problems like without, (laughs) without the single individual, you know, so it's only it's only as strong like the the chain is only as strong as every single link Mm -hmm. so i think even in in day-to-day life it's really important to to ask people how they are then i had a teacher in high school who would say ask people how they are and then ask again how they really are Mm -hmm. like make sure they're being heard and like because honestly when when people ask me how i am i know how it makes me feel and it just makes you feel like literally human, you know, with everything going on, you have COVID classes, like trying to have a social life, whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. And when someone hits you up and is like, Gabe, like, how are you? It's like, man, this person was thinking about me and it just makes you feel so much better. You know? So let's see, what are, what are the questions I have? What would be, um, what would be your your best advice to a freshman in college? I know you kind of touched on this in forum as well, but what would you be? Because you you were uh, a film major in college, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. So how did you come from a film major to end up being in politics and things like that as well? So uh, a couple of things. I'll touch on the film question first. So uh, film was something I really liked. Uh, my mom was actually uh, a television producer growing up. Um, so I fell in love with like the film aspect uh, and the production and directing at an early age. Um, but I think, you know, for me, again, I always knew my long-term goal was to eventually go into politics, uh, eventually run for office. But film was just something I was really good at. And Uh, I enjoyed it at that time in life, and I thought that's where uh, I kind of wanted to uh, start about things. But even in majoring in film, I had a minor in communications, uh, and I took a lot of interpersonal communication, strategic communication, political communication to still make sure I was balancing uh, and feeding that other side uh, that I always knew eventually uh, I would get to. Um, Overall, what I would tell a freshman you go to college one time. Um, and so you need to make it the best experience 
uh, that it can be and just actually enjoy it and live it to the fullest. Um, I think, you know, yes, you're there to get a degree, absolutely. Um, but just because you're there to get a degree um, and you want to put yourself in a better position for where you want to go doesn't mean that you still can't find other ways uh, to have fun uh, and make college the experience that you want it to be. So when I look back and uh, when I talk to a lot of my friends, I'm like, I don't have any regrets uh, about college. Uh, I remember when I went away, my parents told me, um, there's like, obviously you're on scholarship. Don't blow your scholarship. Yep. Uh, but you know, um, being who you are, like, uh, get your work done early so you could actually have fun on the weekends, uh, and make time for the other things you did. So, uh, I was very, very actively involved. I was part of BG24 News. Uh, I was part of Black Intellects uh, group. I did uh, theater productions at time and still made it to all the major parties uh, on the weekend or would go to Uptown or I remember going to Clazelle uh, when I turned 21. Um, you know, BG for me, it was just, it was amazing. Uh, experience. I had some of the best years of my adult life uh, going to Bone Green State University. Um, still enjoy going back uh, to homecoming when we actually have homecoming again uh, in person. But um, you just really, you got to maximize. Uh, it, it's, I know it's your first time away from home from a lot of people, uh, but, you know, just have fun with it. Uh, and, at some point, whether or not it's in your freshman year, your senior year, you're going to meet probably some people uh, that you're going to be friends with for the rest of your life. But just make the most of the time uh, you have um, um, and just making sure you have the full experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to unpack in that that are just going through my mind right now. But I think it's really important to maximize, like you said, your time with like being balanced, like having your social life realizing in school is important. Like that's what exactly what my mom said. She was like, go have fun. But remember you're on scholarship and like, you're like school first, you know, not, not Gabe life, the school. And so that's super important to me. Did you, I know you talked about how since you were a kid, you wanted to be in office and all that. Did you have a mo did you ever have like a moment when you were a kid, when you realized like, okay, I want to go into politics. This is something that I want to do. So I think the the first kind of moment was like when I was seven and you have that like kind of essay of when I grow up, I want to be this. Mm -hmm. um, but I think my real moment that, yeah, I can actually do this was probably in middle school. I think I was in the seventh grade uh, and I was a, uh, a part of the leadership academy within my uh middle school um and so we had to do profiles on how we saw ourselves uh i think it was like a maverick all-star cheerleader and a maverick is somebody that you know it leads but likes to do a lot of things on their yeah. own all-star is somebody that leads but finds a way to get everybody else involved a cheerleader is not that they can't be leaders, but they're huge on supporting uh, the team effort. And so like I saw myself as uh, a maverick, but I remember the 18 other people and my peers 
all voted me overwhelmingly as an all-star. Um, and uh, one of the things they said is you always find a way to get everybody else involved. We were mm. talking about, uh, you know, they had assignment while we, we had a weekend retreat and it was, um, how do you guys want to make the world a better place? And I was the one that stood up in the group. I was like, before we could worry about the world, how do we make Detroit a better place? Uh, for, mm. We're in middle school. Uh, we're not grown. What can we do to change the immediate community that we're in now and then work on the world later? Um, and that was something that all my peers was like to just stop everybody in the room and get them while still looking at the bigger picture, understand the immediate picture for the smaller steps and transforming what the world meant to you at that point. Um, I think that was like my really big aha moment of, okay, I might be on the right path. And I think the bigger thing that I always tell people that I mentor in politics is, well, not you wanna run for office or do stuff. You want everybody else around you uh, to see you capable of doing those things and not you just wanting to do those things. It's important mm -hmm. to have that drive, but it's also equally important to have buy-in uh, and the support uh, and uh, just uh, the want from your communities and those around you uh, to keep seeing you propel and do uh, what you see yourself as capable of as well. Right. Yeah, people, I think the the ripple effect of small actions is something that's very underlooked. And the, the way you could recognize that as a, as a middle schooler is really powerful. I think I can relate to so far what I know, what I want to do in my life. When I think of the podcast and then just talking to people and hearing their stories. Um, when I was younger, every Sunday, we used to go to the Boneyard, like a restaurant mm -hmm. in Cleveland. And uh, supposedly during commercials of the football games we were watching, my dad told me I used to go up to random tables and ask him, ask them like what team they were rooting for and why. And I used to like write it down and like tally it. And I think about that experience when people ask me what I'm passionate about. And people always ask me like, how do you know like what you're passionate about like with your childhood? And although I'm a freshman in college, obviously I don't know anything, everything in the world. I'm not, I'm never gonna know everything. But I tell them, I say, I really just kind of like look toward my childhood. Mm -hmm. Like it's something I really enjoyed as a child. And now it's something that, you know, this is my fourth, fourth episode this week that I'm making in my podcast. And it's the most I've ever done in a week. And I don't feel burnt, burnt out at all. Like I'm enjoying this conversation and it's engaging. And I learned so much from people's experiences. And I mm -hmm. found that also in the classroom when we had like people who came in and talked I was more interested in that than like the class content. Like, obviously mm -hmm. I prioritized it, but when someone would offer little, little nuggets of life, I'd be like, that's like writing it down, notebook out. Like, that's what I, what I like to do. So I think it's really powerful to look back to your childhood to see what you're, you're passionate about. Absolutely. Um, what would, what would you say is one of your biggest failures and how you handled it? is a it's a loaded question you know every time i ask someone it's i think for me early on in my career i sold myself short a lot of times 
sometimes I stay too loyal in situations where I should have uh, got myself uh, out of uh, and just, yeah, you know, been loyal to myself a little bit more sometimes than I was loyal to others uh, in the business coming up. And I think uh, it's a failure for me because I think I lost time uh, that I could have been doing other things. Uh, I lost time with uh, being able to spend more time with friends and families in my uh, 20s because I was so career focused and felt like I had to do this, this, and this. Uh, and that wasn't always the case. Uh, but at the same time, I think those failures, uh, I'm always saying that my failures uh, have taught me so much more uh, than any high point. And I think when people look at my career, uh, they look at the titles I have and I'm like, that doesn't even tell half of the story of how I actually got here. Um, and if it wasn't for those failures, I can almost 100% uh, percent say I would not be where I am today and not only that I would not be who I am today uh, without embracing those failures that I had uh, back in embracing that yeah you made uh, mistakes and yeah maybe you should have broke off from that situation earlier but now you uh, learned this uh, about how not to do it in the future and at the same time you standing longer taught you this this and this um, and I think a lot of those, uh, I think it's rare that I had a failure where right in that moment, I knew uh, the lesson that was to be learned. I think a lot of times it was uh, one to two years later, once I was away from it, uh, it was that aha moment of, mm-hmm. yep, that that was what uh, I was supposed to get out of it. So, yeah, failure. Definitely. I, I love asking people what their biggest failure was and how they handled it. Cause I really think it's a question that gets overlooked. And um, I, I always get the example of social media as a highlight reel, you know, and you see all these great things people are accomplishing, but you don't see the, the background of it. Like you don't see that person going through this failure, this one. And it's, it's the danger of the single story. I think I saw a Ted talk about it. It's like the danger of just, trying to not even judge a book by its cover, but just for, for me to look at you, Chris, and just say politician is not, does not do justice at all. So I think it's, it's really important to, to look at your failures and reflect on them and realize like the lesson. And I would say one other thing, I think there are very few things in this life that I feel like I've actually failed at. Uh, For me, uh, failure means if I gave up something um, mm. more times than I, I would say nine times out of ten that's what failure means I think uh, it, it was more so kind of the challenges that I face uh, versus necessarily uh, full-on uh, failure because what some people would uh, very few people know like I went through a rough part in my career uh, where like in between campaigns, like I had to pick up a second job uh, at Macy's just because I didn't have any income, things like that. Uh, and some people would be like, well, you had a master's degree, like how could you end up working at Macy's um, and stuff like that? And I was like, well, it was a challenging time, but 
while you look at that as part of a possible failure, like working there, I had discount on all the clothes because I worked in men's tailored suits. So I was also mm-hmm. able to build up a wardrobe. So when I did have that next job, I was already ready to go for it. Um, and it just taught me, you know, some of those things, again, it's more challenging because it taught me how to be scrappier about things. It taught me to appreciate when I got to where I was going to appreciate it even more because I knew what I had to overcome to get there in the first place. Mm-hmm. I love that story about Macy's, dude, and how you you literally like visualized yourself in using that experience as a stepping stone to the next step. Yep. And yeah, I totally agree. It's um, I'll say failure, but it's really like learning lessons. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. there have been besides the math tests I failed in high school. <laughs> that one, that that, that'll be a couple of those. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be a tabled conversation for later, right? <laughs> Um, all right. What, one of the, the questions we, we ask all of our, our guests is if you could text yourself five years ago, Chris, what would you say and why? And if you could text, uh, five years into the future, Chris, what would you say and why? Five years ago, I think I would have still told myself to make more time for the little things, uh, around you. Um, and appreciate the little things more uh, around you and you'll get everything you want just stay patient Um, and five years into the future um, I would text myself make sure you're still making uh, your family a priority more than your career Mm. What would you say are the the small things you're doing now to make your family or like your family a priority or just balance with your work life play? Uh, I think it's just, you know, making more time. I think it is even though I have to work late nights, like once I'm done, like, you know, instead of going to watch a TV or a movie by myself, like spending that time um you know, with, with my wife and kid and sometimes watching a family movie or just simply if I know I haven't had a lot of time to give my son uh, FaceTime in the day, make sure I take at least 30 minutes out the day at the end of my day just to play with them. Um, I think it's those moments that you just, you can't get back. Um, mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, like you can be exceptional in your career um, but at the end of the day, your career is going to come to an end at some point, but your family is going to be there forever. Um, and, you know, you don't know, nobody knows how much time you have out on earth with the people that you love the most. So, mm-hmm. you know, find a way every single day to let them know how much they mean to you uh, in the day. Um, if that means picking up the phone or to call your parents, even though you don't see your parents all the time, um, things like that, just uh if you had a 30 second moment make it a minute moment um and find out to hold it a little bit longer i love that that's beautifully said just make the moments and um i i just like i hear stories about my mom she used to be like a workaholic at key bang she was like doing it all the time and uh nobody knew how she was gonna react to having like my older brother and um 
when my brother came, she took off work and then she realized like how much she just loved being like with family. And it's those moments that as a child, I can remember and recall mm-hmm. like my mom, like bringing me cupcakes in my first grade, like for my birthday, like if she was at work, she wouldn't really have that opportunity, but making those moments in it, it really goes far and means a lot. So Chris, I want to acknowledge you and honor you for, for what you do and for making an impact in people's lives. I'm super grateful that you were, we were able to connect and be on the podcast today. Is there anything, any closing thoughts or final thought you'd like to just give out to the world, just straight Chris or anything? I will just say uh, to everybody listening, uh, believe that you will accomplish and get the dreams that you want. But as you're on your way up to accomplish those dreams, uh, don't uh, forget to enjoy the view on the way up to the top of where you want to be. Beautifully said. So, Chris, I, if you could hang on just for a minute before I yep. end this, we could talk a little bit. And, uh, yeah, if, if you guys made it this far, thank you. Uh, really appreciate you guys listening and tuning in. And if you think someone could could be impacted by this episode, shoot them a text or something. You never know where a conversation can take it and maybe some inspiration. That's what they need. So really appreciate you guys and love you. And we'll catch you on the next one.